welcome Chris Browning from season five of Bosch on Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime, actually, right? Yeah, yeah, Amazon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're playing the the role of uh, Preston Border. So, yeah. you know, what's it like being on a show? Yeah, well, you've been on multiple shows, actually. I mean, Sons of Anarchy, the the One Hundred, you know, Agent Carter, Westworld. I mean, you have this list uh, of shows that you've been on, and now to switch to, you know, from mainstream television rather to streaming. How has that transition been? Um, well, it's not as good residuals wise. I found that out. <laughs> right. It's, it's nice. It's nice getting on those network shows. If nothing else for the for the money. But I've been I've been pretty uh, pretty fortunate in that I've gotten to be on some really high end shows. The shows right. that have mass followings or critically acclaimed. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, you know HBO's kind of in that. Um, you know, there's they're, they're streaming and a premium channel. They they don't their residuals thing isn't the same as as uh, network television either. But I mean, when you're on Westworld, it's you know, not, not like I'm going to complain. No, not um, at all. And Ray Donovan, same thing over on Showtime. Yeah. Um, it's uh, a different structure financially, but it's such a quality show, and I I do it again in a second. I love those shows. But it, the transition to you know everyone's freaking out about the transition from te- mainstream television and cable to streaming. But didn't we already see this about 35 years ago when we went from network to cable itself? Exactly. Exactly. Like you know the the, the structure that was the beginning of the bad news. You know, like when they had they like with HBO and Showtime, they have a different system wherein they can. They can they can play an episode, you know, ten times a day if they want, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm not going to see as an actor I'm not going to see, uh, you know, the residuals based in the same way that they would be if they if they ran the show on a network, you know, if they run if they run Supergirl uh, ten times a day I'm going to be making all kinds of money. Right. You know, they, 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 uh, it's a it's a much better better structure um, for for residuals, but um, on the other end they pay well they're up front, so you make a you make a good chunk of money in the beginning. But um, you know it's not it's it, it's it's the thing that gets me is is like streaming with Netflix and Amazon and and Hulu and all that they they still call it new media mm-hmm. and. And they haven't really come up with a with a payment structure that favors actors. It's the, the producers are killing it. They're doing right. great, but but uh, I, I'm just wondering how long my union is going to call it new media. It's mm-hmm. been like 20 years. <laughs> I think we I think we figured out what it is. It's not like oh no, it's new. I don't know. We don't know what to do. Uh, you know. Well. Well, you know, the, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, art catching up to culture isn't uh, always as fast as uh, culture influencing art. Sure, and it's going to, and it's just, you know, the, the, the producers are, are the, you know, they're the guys that are really, that are always going to have more power because right. they, own, they own the product. So, so right. they, want, they want the transition to be as slow as possible, and, and I, I get it. If I'm in the producer's guild, that's what I want, too. And, right. And, um, you know, I was, in a, I was in a movie called Bright, mm-hmm. uh, 
was the biggest thing Netflix had ever done. It was a hundred million dollar movie just for Netflix. Right. And and uh, you know they had and Will Smith, and it was a David Ayer direct directed it, and and, and uh, uh, Max Landis wrote the script. It was just a huge thing. And if that had been a, a theatrical release and gone to DVD like like it was you know a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have made a fortune in residuals because I was on the clock for a month on that show. And it, it's, you know, it's based on how much you make, uh, mm-hmm. is how much your residuals are. And, and even though I only, I, I think I only filmed three days on that movie, but I was on the clock for over a month, um, with, with, uh, personal trainers and nutritionists and, and sword fight technique and a dialect coach teaching me how to play, how to, how to speak Orkish and, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there was just, it was like going to school every day for a month before I even filmed. So, um, my residuals would have been massive, but because it was on, it was on Netflix, I got a, I got like a three figure check, you know, mm-hmm. for my residuals. And I'm like, what, what is this? Right. And, that, and that's just, that's a bummer. <laughs> that's a bummer. Yeah. But, you know, the people like, you know, the guys that they, you know, the names, you know, like Will Smith. You know, his people are going to say we need to get paid up front because right. we're not going to make we're not making residuals. Our back end on this is is no, nothing. Mm-hmm. So you know, the actors name actors don't mind doing it because they they get paid really well more than they would uh, for a studio picture for a theatrical release. Yeah, it does make sense, and it is an unfortunate thing. And I also understand the producer aspect of it because they're the ones putting the money up front, so it's it's more risk, more reward for them in that in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, Chris, uh, slightly off topic, and I'm sorry about this. You know, to because this caught my eye. But you're fluent in Russian. You know, I'm I'm not as fluent as I would like. Okay. I, uh, I I can carry on a conversation, but it's it's. You know, I'm I'm like when, when a foreigner comes to you and says, mm-hmm. "Please to show place for large vehicle with many people." You know, it's like well, the, the bus station's over there. Right. You know, I, I I don't I and I just in fact that got me in trouble recently. I I just uh, got an audition for uh, um, the Taylor Taylor Sheridan's uh, movie. Um, what is that called? Those who want to kill me. It's a it's a um, uh, Angelina Jolie movie and and one and one of the guys is oh no don't no, thinking of a different movie sorry about that uh, what was this um, I don't know it was some it was some some audition and it was with a big casting director director like uh, John Patsadero or somebody who who you know my agent said oh yeah Chris speaks Russian. Well, this guy. Oh, I know. It was for a series called Condor. Mm. It's on. Uh, it's on Directv. Directv, another uh, yet another streaming network. Um, uh, I guess it's a really good show. It's an espionage show, and, and it's got uh, William Hurt in it. And um, anyway, the guy that I read for is a spy whose Russian has to be perfect because he's Russian, mm. but his his American has to be perfect because he's a spy. Right. So, so I'm like, I would have normally not even wasted my time because it was seven pages of Russian dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, and I would have had to study a ton, but, um, I thought, well, 
you know, my chances are good because while they'll have a ton of people who can come in and speak perfect Russian because they speak Russian, they're, they're Russian people, Russians' American accents are shit, mm-hmm. right? So I thought, you know, that's going to eliminate a lot of Russian speakers because they can't do an American accent. So I thought I had a chance. So I, right. I studied and I got, I got someone, a friend of mine who speaks Russian, and I got got her to work with me and I recorded her and I went, I really busted my ass on this. And then I went in there and, and, uh, you know, I thought I did okay, but the people that actually speak Russian and wrote this dialogue or whatever, and, and, and they knew that, um, I'm not, I'm not fooling them. Mm-hmm. So, so they must've found someone who can do a, a perfect American accent and speak fluent Russian. I, and it's not me, but, mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't, yeah, long answer is, <laughs> the short answer is, no, I'm not fluent. I, okay. I, I, did a, I did a miniseries there. I was there for 13 months in the 90s and mm-hmm. came back came back speaking Russian for some reason. Hey, you know, can't complain about that though, right? Right. You know, every language you learn is a, is a feather in the cap and it helps with uh, future auditions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because your uh, IMDb profile said that you spoke perfect Ru- or fluent Russian. And I was like, oh, that's interesting, because you know, oh. it's it's hard to find a lot of people that speak multi languages. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh, I I wish I spoke it better. Mm. That's, uh, but you know, I can go over there and get by and do what I need and get what I want and go. You know, but I, I I'm not fooling people as a Russian as a Russian character. Right. Where I speak a couple of lines, you know, and I and I, I can do like I, I did a film where I was a Russian mobster mm-hmm. and I, I spoke English with a Russian accent, which was easy. Right. And and then I when I would speak to my henchmen, I'd ha- I'd say a couple of lines in Russian and I could pull that off. You know? Right. But uh, and it was believable was, for the movie. Exactly. But seven pages of Russian dialogue not not going to happen. Got it. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the acting industry itself just seems, you know, all o- all over the place now because we have so many platforms. You know, like you like we mentioned, we have Amazon Prime, we have Netflix, we have Hulu. Uh, DirecTV has gotten into the market. I'm surprised Dish Network hasn't gotten into the streaming market at this point. Um, Facebook. Then, yeah, Facebook now. Um, What's it called? Apple. YouTube Red. Apple's getting in on Disney Plus is coming out, which is going to be a lot of extra Disney content. Um, you know, how does this, how much, you know, what is it going to do for ratings in, in the long run? Because, you know, remember MASH, when that show went off the air, had, you know, one in three TVs in the United States tuned to it, but we only had four channels at the time, and cable right. only gave us like 11 extra channels. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what's it going to be like? A hundred thousand shares going to be considered a hit at this point? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Is that, you know, if someone if someone has a million viewers, they're like number at number one. Mm-hmm. There's just although you know it's funny because most of the country is still watching network television mm-hmm. um, and sitting through commercials or you know and, and um, or they're or they're you know. Uh, Recording them and fast forwarding to this, right? But but uh, 
it's uh, it's amazing to me. And when when I watch, there's not a lot of network television that I watch, but um, because when I do, I'll watch like a mainstream show, and I'll just go, my God, they dumb it down so much because they want they they want a demographic that's like 40 years wide mm-hmm. to watch this show. Yeah. And, and and that just that just doesn't work for me. I mean, I I would be I would be. It's just so formula, and you can just you know if it's a procedural, the police procedural thing. It's like oh my god, I figured it out in the first two minutes. You know, mm-hmm. I, and I I just I like it better over on on, on the streaming stuff uh, in the Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. I like HBO and Showtime. You know, stars, the people that are willing to make me. You know, willing to shock me, mm-hmm. you know, with, with something unexpected twists and turns and things. You know, I just um, and and not be politically correct all the time and and just some just entertain me. Not, you know, don't bore me for an hour and I don't know. But um, but then, you know, then again, I'll say I've watched some network television and I and I and I said, wow, you know, these guys are realizing that they're losing they're losing viewership to HBO and stuff like that. This is like an HBO quality show with no nudity and profanity. There's, right. You know, I, I mean, some some good stuff out there. You know, it's, I mean, if you look at, uh, um, what's his name? It, it uh, did all the, he did the West Wing and, mm-hmm. and uh, the social network and stuff. Uh, Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. You know, um, or, or the guy that was married to Michelle Pfeiffer that did, uh, Oh, what's his name? Um, David Kelly. Mm-hmm. You know, those, those guys are geniuses. You know, and they're and they're they're putting stuff on network television for the same reason I like to be on network television because there's a ton of money there. You know, right. that's where the you, having a show on HBO is great, and you're set for life if you can put it. You know, put a show on HBO, mm-hmm. but if you can put one on NBC. That just keeps paying and paying and paying and paying. Yeah, because, I mean, if we go back to the the older days, well, not even the older days, we'll go back just 10 years. Uh, Charlie Sheen's contract, I think, is on par with Bill Cosby's contract before uh, all his shenanigans came to light, uh, where he was making all those rerun money off uh, Cosby Show. Well, think about 20, was it 20-some years ago when when Cheers went off the air? Mm -hmm. Um. They came to Ted Danson with a buyout because they didn't want to pay him residuals for for decades. So they said, how about $220 million up front? And he said, okay. Yeah. You know, I'll take $220 million up front, sure. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll make that work. Yeah. And that was was 20 years ago, man. Right. You know, unbelievable money there. You know, you could twist my arm with, uh, with $20 million. Or two hundred million. Twenty. Yeah. Just the twenty. Yeah. Just the twenty. I'll make the twenty work. Uh, Chris, forgive me if this is getting too personal, but there there has been talk of uh, in your past of substance abuse, and um, I don't know how open you are to to bring that up because it's a it's a very difficult subject, and a lot of people are struggling through that right now. Uh, Would you be willing to talk about that? Sure, I talk about it every day. Okay. Um, what is it like, you know, because people have said, I, I know more research is saying, it, you know, it's an addic- addiction is um, 
is a health crisis and, and other things. And people say it's a willpower issue going back and forth. Um, could you tell us about your experience with addiction and how you overcame it? Because so many people are struggling with it today, whether it's, you know, prescription uh, medicine or, um, you know, street drugs. Well, I've been down the road with all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've been I've been straight up, you know, just a typical snot flying drunk. I've uh, been a, a crackhead, a tweaker, a heroin addict, you know, prescription meds. I've I've, I've abused everything in the world, and and, and uh, I, I do know for a fact it's not a willpower thing. Um, it's 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 because uh, I mean. You know, addicts have incredible willpower. You know, it, it, it's amazing. You know how much work it is because I've been a, I've been a homeless. I was a homeless junkie for six years. You know, and I, I went from the Malibu beach house to living in the bushes next to the 405, and or being locked up in county where I've spent probably three years total of my life locked up. Um, you know, in, in installments of three months, six months, I did a year once, and, and um, it's it takes a lot of work to stay in that life. I mean, it's like a twenty-four hour a day job. You know, finding the money to find the drugs to get to get high, and and it, it's it's a lot of work. It's not like you're just laying in the woods and people are bringing you drugs all day. You know, and and. Uh, you know, so there's there's incredible willpower, but and and I've done it and I've done it just with willpower before, where I said, you know what, I'm going to stop drinking for six months just to show the world that I'm not an alcoholic, and and I would stop, and for six months I would did not know what to do with myself, and I would be out the door running, I ran, and I I jog all the way, uh, you know, halfway across town and go to a to the gym and work out and then run all the way back and I'd sit around for about 10 minutes and I'd be going crazy so I'd go out and run again and and I was just completely nuts because I wasn't letting myself have what I wanted which was alcohol Mm -hmm. and I mean after a few months people close to me were begging me to start drinking again because I was such an asshole and and uh that's what happens when you try to do it with with willpower has been my experience um where i've had luck was when i found you know found found people that were trying to do that trying to do what i was doing you know trying to try to try to find a spiritual angle on it and 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 people put myself around people that are trying to do the same thing as i'm doing and and uh, and find and find some spiritual side to it, to where it's not it's not me doing it. You know that you hear about higher powers and stuff like that. That's for me. That was a that was huge because it it was uh, it was nice to not have to try to do it on my own. Um, but you know, I talk to people about this all the time. I I, I opened a when I got clean in 2004. Uh, I, I got involved in the in Taos, New Mexico, in the recovery uh, industry, and I ended up opening a treatment center in in Taos. Uh, helped open it with with a couple other friends of mine, and 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 uh, it's still running today. It's called Shadow Mountain Recovery. And, oh wow! And and, uh, and you helped start Shadow Mountain? 
Yeah, yeah. We we went in there when it was still an old dude ranch in the mountains, and and we got it all converted for residential uh, living and and put in. So that was the fun part was putting in, you know, putting down tile and putting in bathtubs and, and showers and and splitting rooms into two and you know just all that you know fun stuff. We built a gym out of a out of a out of a barn, mm-hmm. you know, and. And then we wrote a program, and we got we hired staff and got people in there and got it up and running, and and uh, and uh, you know I walked away from it after after it was open for about a year, but it's still it's still going. Wow! And uh, that that feels nice knowing I was part of that. But um, yeah, I still try to be around it around people in recovery every day because that's that's what saved my ass. What was the moment where you just said enough is enough? And this could go for people, you know, for people that are going through weight issues that have, you know, depression issues or whatever else that they hit the rock, you know, the absolute rock bottom. And then just, you know, it clicked and said enough's enough. Well, you know, they they talk about that bottom, you know, you hit your bottom and, and people say you, you reach bottom when you stop digging or you, you uh um, you know, I reached bottom several times. I went to I went to five treatment centers. I went to twenty detoxes. I, you know, I went to jail twenty times. It, it's just, um, for whatever reason, the last time in two thousand four, uh, I think, you know, I, I I went on I went in off the streets and I was in a in a county place. You know, my union wasn't sending me to to resorts like Betty Ford anymore. So it was, it was like, I was in a county place, um, and not to knock Betty Ford because they have a wonderful, wonderful program. I just, I just, I, I needed some place to make me feel less entitled. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I went into this county place called Redgate down in Long Beach. And, and, uh, it was, you know, everybody in there was right off the streets or right out of prison. You know, it was like this is this this is these are your people. This is this is where you are in life. You know, and 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 it finally got me right sized. You know, for the first time ever. And and I just I don't know. And plus, I was I was in there for three months, which was you know the um, you know before I would go you know these things for 28 days or detox for maybe 10 days you know and, and I just still felt like shit and I just I just wanted I wanted to get high and but after three months I had my feet under me and I felt I felt like I, I started getting comfortable in my own skin and I wasn't thinking about dope all day long and and, and I had something I wanted to hang on to mm-hmm. so that's when I um you know, that's when I'm, I, I, I finally kept it. You know, I, I wanted to keep it. And so I got out of L.A. and I moved to Taos, New Mexico and said, forget the business. I don't need to act anymore. I just want to be alive. And, and uh, fortunately for me, that's when that's when uh, um, New Mexico started their tax incentive to bring productions to the state. And. So all of a sudden, everybody in the state became an actor overnight, and and uh, I I really was an actor. I really had a resume, and and uh, I was pretty successful getting cast in stuff in New Mexico. When productions would come to the state, I was I was getting on them, you know. And and then L.A. found me again through some stuff that I that I did in New Mexico, I, like like from Book of Eli and Three Ten to Yuma and Terminator Salvation. And, 
uh, a little prison movie called Felon that I did with Val Kilmer, and and that kind of put me on the radar back here in, in L.A. And and uh, after I did Cowboys and Aliens, I moved back out here to uh, Topanga Canyon, which is a great place to be if you've lived in Taos, New Mexico, for seven years. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, the best thing I've I've heard that the best that you reach your bottom. When when circumstances around you are declining faster than you can lower your standards. Oh wow! Okay, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Who's the? So whatever it is, if, it, if it's food or you know whatever, if it's if it's you're saying okay, but I, I won't ever I won't ever eat it, you know um, in in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. you know or. or you know, I won't ever eat when, you know, and then you start eating in the middle of the night. And then you say, okay, but I'm never going to eat uh, two meals in bed, you know, right. and then all of a sudden you're doing that. And then, and you know, next thing it's like, I'm never going to eat while having sex. <laughs> and you find yourself taking a bite out of a burrito while you're having sex. Okay, I can't, I can't justify that. That's just, that, I, I've, I've, uh. I can't lower my standards to that, so I, I need help. Mm. You know, and and uh, and for me, that's what it was. It's like I just couldn't I couldn't find the romance in being homeless anymore. It was it was it was kind of exciting for a while, and it was like, you know, this is this is sucking the marrow out of life. You can't you can't teach this. You know, this is life experience. I'm going to write about this someday. And, you know, and then eventually you just wake up and you realize you're you're just a junkie sleeping on a pissy mattress that you found on the side of the road, and and you need to, you need to get your shit together. Hmm. So that's what happened with me. And who's the first person that you reach out to to make amends with once you know, you've started going through treatment, or you reach out to to help you get to treatment? Um. Well, my 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 parents, for one, they they were the first people that I came to. Uh, um, you know, I, I called my mom when I got out of treatment, and my mom, you know, my parents had both cut me off. They they didn't know if I was alive or dead for for years. They would have to uh, call the L.A. County Jail system, and and eventually they'd say, "Yeah, we have him," and that's how they knew their son was alive. You know, and and uh, that's how they kept track of me. So I I went first right to them because they were the ones I really I really put through a lot of pain and, and they're both gone now but I, I called them both every single day for 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 the years that they were that they were alive. Well I'm glad that was the first amends you made and they they accepted you back in their lives. Uh what's it like coming back from addiction and you know I mean you li- you went from a house to homelessness to you know just having your own bed in a shared room is was that like a giant is that basically like winning a gold medal almost in coming back into sobriety or into livelihood yeah yeah you know it was weird i uh i i got into a relationship with a girl with sarah who i ended up marrying and having two kids with and and we're best friends today we get along great and and uh you know, we were we were playing house together early on. I think I was I was like four months clean. She was like three, and uh, and uh, you know we started living together. And 
and I, I it seemed like for the first two years I, I would wake up and and just get this big smile on my face because I was asleep. I was waking up in a bed with clean sheets and I wasn't dope sick and I, I didn't have to get up and start stealing to, to get to buy to get money to get drugs to get to get right you know and I could just lay there and smile for 20 minutes if I wanted to you know and it was it was uh it was it was amazing just just that thing just just having a being in a clean bed right that seems that seems like the greatest victory at that point. Your own toothbrush, a clean bed, and a clean bathroom. Yeah, and no and no warrants, and you know no no abscesses on my body, and <laughs> and and I you know put sixty pounds back on and, you know, that I was missing. You know, and, and, um, and and now getting back to work as an actor at this point, how do you get back in good standing with the union? How do you get back in good standing with your agent and build your reputation back up slowly to being a stable actor? Well, the cool thing about my, my union, when I, when I reached out to them, cause I got a job in New Mexico and I was like, okay, I need to get my, my status, uh, straightened out with you. And they, and to them, they said, "Oh, well, you're you're like six years behind on your on your dues. You owe us like four thousand dollars or something, some ridiculous amount." And and uh, I told them my situation, and they said, "Well, write a letter to our our board of directors or our whatever they call them." And so I wrote a letter to them, and I told them about my history and what I'd been through and where I was, and and they met on that. And they got back to me and said, "We're going to forego your 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 uh, your owed dues and reinstate you." And I've still, even though I've, they still show me as a member since 1991, I didn't have to pay those six years of dues, and and they they put me back to work right away. So yay, Screen Actors Guild! <laughs> yeah. and, and as far as the other people, I didn't really burn any bridges because once I started. Once I started doing shit like that, I was always a drunk, but I didn't. No one would know at work because I just I worked when it was time to work, and I drank when it was time to drink. But mm. you can't be a part-time heroin addict, you know. Right. And, and so once I once it escalated to that level, I just took myself out of the game, you know. And uh, I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't keep a car, or, you know, and go to go to auditions or keep an apartment or a house or or pay bills or anything like that. It was a full-time job being a junkie, so. So nobody, I didn't ruin any relationships, and, and by the time I came back into the business, most of the people that were around were, were gone anyway. Mm. Um, yeah. What What's it like being able to function on a daily basis, get back your bearings, and go to work in the industry that you first fell in love with, with now open and clear eyes? Well, it's, the, the the biggest surprise for me was that the, my work would be better. You know, I used to I used to hang on to this romantic alcoholic vision of you know like like Hemingway and Jim Morrison and things. You know, like I need I need this as my muse to be creative and all this shit. You know, and and now now I see that that you know having that having that confidence of knowing that this is really me. I'm looking you right in the eye, and this is the real me, and like it or not, I don't have a secret. I'm not secretly on something and trying to avert my eyes or my breath or anything from you. Um, 
that that put a bounce in my step and and gave me the confidence that I that I wasn't expecting and and my work is is so much better than it than it was just because I I just I'm not I don't have any secrets you know I'm just not it's just amazing how much you know I I now I wonder like oh man I wonder Hemingway would have been even better if you weren't drunk all the time you know? right. <laughs> That's true. You know, you never know. You never know. Yeah, uh, Chris, I'm I'm gonna leave you with this because you know, we've had a great conversation. I know you're also busy and you got work to do and everything else. But you yeah, know, we have to talk. We have to talk oh. about Bosch or yes. Anthony Turk is gonna be really mad at me. Okay, let's, all right then. Good. So we'll have a little more time. Let's talk about Bosch, and let's talk okay. about the series itself. And, you know, what's going on with season five and what can we expect? Because what I like about Amazon streaming is that they'll release half the season at one point and then make you wait for the other half. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Well, some shows, they do that. Like some shows, like they did that with The Tick. Like, I think think The Tick, they released the first six episodes, got you into it, and then made you wait three, four months to get the next six. Oh, well, that's smart because someone like an addict like me will watch them all nonstop. (laughs) Five o'clock in the morning and watch them all. Mm -hmm. So so that's good. They must know me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think that's a good idea. But, yeah, Bosch was a show. I I was excited to be on Bosch because it was one of my shows. I've watched. I was all caught up through all season four. Uh, when I got cast in it, and and then, but but the thing was, I never read. A, I'm not a big reader, so I didn't I didn't read any of the, any of Michael Connelly's books. And there's 26 books, okay, and, uh, of just the Harry Bosch series. And 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 this season five, they they base the season basically on on a book. They pick a book and go, okay, this will be our season. And there's some overlap and some things from other books that they pull and steal and whatever and put in there. Um, but basically, it's a book, a season. So this season is based on a book called Two Kinds of Truth, which I still have not read. And and in it, there's the, the main thorn in Bosch's side is, is this guy, Preston Borders, who Bosch put away 25 years ago, back oh. when he was a... He was a rock and roll guy with the long hair and the leather pants, and and he was arrested for killing this girl, and he was this arrogant asshole, like you got you got nothing on me kind of guy, and and uh, in the end he was found guilty and put in prison. So uh, now here it is, twenty twenty five or so years later, uh, he's pushing to get a new trial. There's some new evidence that's come to life. There's someone else's confessed to the crime and there's and the plan is to get a, a new trial and be be found innocent and sue the city and make a ton of money and and they're all kind of like looking at Bosch like did he did he plant evidence? Did he railroad this guy? You know, or is this guy full of shit? And and that's what the story's about this year. And 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 he's also gonna go up against this, this pill ring, this illegal uh drug ring with for uh fentanyl and, and other other opiates so um that's those are the two stories going on this season okay and the cool thing the thing i liked a lot is i got to play i got to play the old the the 1990s guy too i got to be 
28-year-old me. And and that was cool. Nice. How how fun is it to revisit the past in that situation where it's like I remember this era and now I got to, you know, come to terms with yeah, reliving it. Well, I didn't, you know, it was is the rock and roll scene that was never really my thing. I mean, I was never I don't I don't play music and I'm not I was never in in that world. Uh but I was around for it and I lived in Laurel Canyon just above Sunset, you know, so I was I, I could just come down the hill and be right there on the Sunset Strip for it and, and for all those hair band days and and uh I just, I, I just had a blast playing. Uh, first of all, I was concerned, like, how the hell, the hell are you guys going to pull this off when I, you know, I'm supposed to be, you know, 30 years old? It's going to take a team of visual effects experts, you know, a year to make me to pull that off. But it's going to be old, old footage from the, from the interview room. Uh, you know, with the cam, the camera hidden way up in the corner, and you're just a little speck, and it's old black and white grainy footage, and, and. uh so hopefully it's hopefully it'll it'll work. I can't wait to see it. Nice. I'm looking forward to it because Amazon puts out a lot of good stuff, and the great thing about it is that you know it doesn't always have to worry about oh which demographic is watching this, which one's going to sell us the best uh, detergent at this time slot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and Michael Connolly, he's a great, and I've really got to be close with him too. He was a, he was a big fan of my work. I, I was like, he goes, you're exactly the guy I wrote when I wrote the book. You're just exactly what I had in mind. Wow. And, and he's been really helpful with me trying to further my career with his contacts and stuff. I mean, the guy is just awesome. And, yeah. and Titus Welliver as well. And, and, and Lance Reddick, they've all like kind of, kind of teamed up to help me, and, and, and that, that really made me feel good. How does it feel when when the guy sits – I mean, I know you said it makes you feel good, but, like, does it add – like it, does it give you the desire to work harder when the guy says, you're what I pictured when I wrote this novel? No, it kind of takes the pressure off, you know? It's, yeah. just, it's like, okay, I'm not having – I don't have to try to, to take on, you know, to be – like, if, you know, if you'd come, come along and said – well, I had I had a guy in mind who was more effeminate, or you know whatever. Then I'm going to be going, oh God, do I need to act more effeminate? Do I need to, you know, it would have gotten in my head. But right. he's like, you're the guy, so just do what you do, you know. And and that that was that was very freeing. I and and the guys, you know, most of my stuff was with Titus, and and uh, it was. It was great because he's he's super easy to work with and he likes to try stuff and we just you know it was very it was you know you don't get to you don't find a lot of times especially when there's a TV schedule that you get to do a lot of artsy like work and find things and stuff it's more like shoot it move on but but that they they had that here it was, it was we got to play with it they let the actors kind of play and find things and try stuff and. And uh, they don't really go, okay, you cross here and go here, and then on this line you move here. They let you kind of find out where you want to go and what feels good, and and it was a it was a it was a wonderful experience. See, that's great. Now here here's the fun part about this. Well, not necessarily the fun part, but the interesting part because you're an actor, obviously, but you've had your run-ins with the law. What's it like playing a cop? Because we see Ice T having done the whole you know, quote-unquote pimp life and whatever else, and, all, and one of the originators of gangster rap. 
and then to yeah. come around and become a cop on SVU, what's it like when you get to play a cop? Well, I don't play a lot of cops. I always play the bad guy. Like in this show, I'm a bad guy. Right. And um, but I I play I did play a dirty cop on an episode of Major Crimes. Um, I certainly got enough time around those guys, but I I, I had more time around uh, around the inmates. And like there was a show I think I mentioned a movie called Felon that I was in. Mm-hmm. Which is a, a, as far as prison movies go, it's pound for pound one of the best. It's a, it was a little two million dollar movie with Stephen Dorff and Val Kilmer and Sam Shepard and Archer, and and uh, uh, Rick Roman Waugh directed it, and he did another prison movie called Shot Caller that came out last year, um, and and he just did the latest. Uh, uh, Gerard Butler movie that, uh, from the Has Fallen series. Uh, it's called Angel Has Fallen. From London Has Fallen and, and Olympus Has Fallen and all those. those. Anyway, um, I went in and read for the the public defender, and it was it was you know I met the director and I was wearing my shirt and tie and all combed up and looking nice and and I did it, I did it and he he was very happy with what I did but it was just public defender talk you know and there wasn't much I could do with it and I asked the casting director after that if I could if I if she would check and see if I if I could read for this head of the Aryan Brotherhood this Danny Samson guy mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, she thought, she called me back and said I. Rick, I talked to the director. He said you could read tomorrow, uh, but he told me not to get your your hopes up because he really sees you on the other side of the bars. <laughs> so I said, okay, well, he doesn't know how much I've been on that side of the bars. So I went and got uh, a makeup artist friend of mine, Katie Dewitt, and she, she, uh, she put a big mustache on me and got me all slicked back and pale and I put on a white beater and got pumped up and I saw Rick in the hallway the next day and, and I said, Hey Rick, how you doing? And then he looked at me like, Oh, Hey man, how are you? And he, he didn't know who I was. And I just met him the day before. And I went in and I did my Danny Sampson audition. And he said, I was wrong, man. You're, you're Danny Sampson. So, and that was, that was strictly because I lived with those guys for years of my life. And I just got to see how they, you know, I didn't, I mean, I, I wouldn't have selected, I wouldn't have elected to do research in that way <laughs> by, by being locked up for three years of my life. But, but uh, you know, good, good is coming from it because I know how to play Aryan Brotherhood guys. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, and it's actually, you know, brought, brought income. And I, I'm in that shot caller movie that Rick did uh, that came out last year. And because because of what I did on on his movie ten years prior, so you know it's uh, something good's coming of it. So that's that's a good thing. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to hear that you're sober, healthy. You got two healthy kids. You know, you and your wife, three healthy kids, even better. You know, uh, yeah. How you know? How do you? Acting is you know the arts are very interesting, and people are very competitive in the arts and. You know, improv people always try to outdo each other. Are your kids very artsy as well, or are they like, oh, that's just dad's day job? You know, dad's playing pretend. Let's go play video games, or let's go play sports, or read a book, or whatever. You know, they, I, 
I put him in the school play every year, um, which is just kind of social for them. They're not they're not up there playing the lead role and working on their their scenes or anything. They're usually just just running around and dancing and part of the supporting cast and stuff. But they they have fun, you know. But I don't I don't really know. One might they they both they both could be good at it, but for different reasons. Uh, one of them. Uh, Lydia, my firstborn, is is certainly the extrovert, um, and she she would be most likely to not be hung up about it. Elena, my second oldest, is is really uh, comedically gifted and and creative, and she would be uh, more suited for it. But I don't know if she'd be more comfortable if she'd be comfortable doing it because she's more shy. So. Hmm. And uh, yet, uh, yet to hear, I yet to think about Stella because she's only a year old, but mm. she's she's uh, she's <laughs> she's adorable too, though. I think she she likes she's already funny, and she's only fourteen months. So, you, know. <laughs> you know, sometimes kids are funnier than the adults. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chris, I'm so glad I got to talk to you because it's you know it's been an interesting conversation. <laughs> 